This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. We're going to continue our study in the Psalms of Ascent in Psalm 124, if you want to start heading there in your Bible. I don't know if any of you can relate, but I am what you might call a what-if kind of guy, meaning I try to think of all the problems the future might hold and figure out how to fix them all before that happens. In fact, I'm pretty sure Shannon said that's one of the things that she loves the most about me. It's my ability to overthink the future. That might not have been exactly how she put it, but that's what I heard. How about you? Do you know anyone like that? Someone who is good at overthinking the future? It's like a roller derby in here with all the elbows flying. (laughs) But as I thought about this this week, the Lord downloaded a question into my mind. Do any of our what-if scenarios include what if God showed up and did something amazing? Does that ever pop into your mind? Is that ever part of your what-if thought process? What if God showed up and fixed things? What if everything goes sideways and God showed up and did something amazing? Because if I'm honest, I'd have to say it rarely, if ever, does mine. My what-ifs are always about, like, what if this goes wrong, or what if that goes sideways, and then how I'll have to fix it, how I'll have to, to, to make things better. But I never think, what if the Lord shows up and does something incredible? Well, in our psalm this morning, David opens with some what-if thoughts, but they're different than the ones, you, than the ones we usually have. See, David's what-if thoughts begin in the past. Let's read Psalm 124 and see where David's what-if thoughts take him. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away The torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So this morning... That's where I want us to get. I want us to come to the same conclusion as David does in this psalm. This morning, I want us to leave here as sure as David is that our help also is in the Lord alone. That our help also is in the Lord alone. That's where I want us to land. So look back at verses 1 through 5 where first David reflects on what could have happened. The first thing he looks at is what could have happened if the Lord had not been on their side. Now, this psalm, like the ones we've already studied, doesn't give us a ton of detail. 
meaning it's not perfectly clear which event David is referencing in verses 1 through 5. I think the language in verses 3 through 5, the anger of the enemies, the torrent, the flood, the raging waters, that sort of stuff, I think it's probably a reference to the Exodus, but it's not explicit. But there's still purpose in that lack of detail. Meaning David wrote this psalm of ascent with the intention that his readers could reflect on any time the Lord showed up to help. Like it could have been the Exodus, it could have been the wilderness, it could have been when the five Amorite kings came against them in, in uh, was that, Judge Joshua? It could have been somewhere in 1 Samuel with the, with the Philistines. But the point is, is he, he intended them to be able, it could have even been back in Psalm 121, actually, where he said he looked to the hills from where his help comes from. It could have been something they experienced on their own. But the point is, is that, that David wrote this this way, so no matter what event they thought of in the past, they could reflect on how God helped them in the past in order to know they could have hope and confidence in the future. That's his point. Which is why David says, let the people now say, at the end of verse 1, he draws them in to this idea of the Lord's help in the past. But there's something we don't want to do. We don't want to turn this psalm into a Hallmark card. We don't want to turn this psalm into like a, a Bob Marley song, as if David is saying like, don't worry about a thing, right? Every little thing. I guess you guys don't know any Bob Marley. Notice he says in verses 2 and 3 that if it had not been for the Lord, they would have been swallowed alive by their enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but being eaten alive is not on my top ten list of ways to check out. In fact, uh, many people have studied and, and, and have found that most children have a recurring nightmare when they're young of being chased by some kind of an animal. It's a, it's a kind of a common thing, a dog or a bear or being chased by a shark or something like that. Which is why David is describing their predicament like this, because he knows his readers can sympathize with the fear of being eaten alive. And in verses 4 and 5, even if you haven't witnessed it personally, I'm sure you have seen on a video or something how, how a flood looks, a real flood. Meaning David is, is likening what their enemies would have done to how rocks and trees and, and even people are pulverized by this kind of angry, muddy soup. Meaning the point is, David's saying everything isn't peachy. They were nervous. It wasn't like, like they were saved from everything. It didn't have any heartache or any, or any anxiety. No, he, he's talking about that moment of panic when you realize that you don't have a chance on your own to withstand what's coming. That moment of surrender, when you realize that you are helpless to defend yourself against certain annihilation, that's when he said God showed up. When things got really bad. That's, that's what David says would have happened if the Lord had not been on their side. So, how about you? Can you relate to what David is saying? Can you remember a time in your life where you could look back and join David in saying, if the Lord had not been on our side. Like, like maybe God somehow stepped in and helped you avert 
some financial disaster or maybe he helped you uh, heal a relationship or maybe he literally saved you or helped you from some kind of physical danger. And probably the longer you live, the more opportunities you have to have these kind of events, these scenarios, and reflect on them as God you know, works in your life. But you know what? Here's the thing. Not everyone can say that. Not everyone has what we might call the right answer to those scenarios. Meaning some people, even in this room, don't feel like they can join David. Rather than joining David, their refrain might sound something like, I thought the Lord was on my side. But he never showed up and I got swallowed alive. Like, don't you feel like you've choked on a lot of water in your life? I mean, let's just be honest. I feel sometimes like I'm getting waterboarded by life. Like, as soon as I have a moment to gasp and catch my breath, life puts the rag back over my face and starts dumping more water down my nose. You ever feel like that? And I don't know about you, but sometimes it bothers me even more to see God rescue other people from the same raging waters that are flooding over me. When God rescues people, and, and people who avoid financial ruin, people who have perfect families, people who have all their physical ailments cured. So what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do when our life seems to, at least at times, for some of us and and, and oftentimes, for some of us, when our life seems to contradict what Scripture is saying, what are we supposed to do? Let's keep moving and see if David can reconcile this issue. That's what could have happened in verses 1 through 5. But look again at verses 6 through 7, where David describes what actually happened. Where he says what actually happened. Again, he says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. He says, We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. So David uses this very visceral imagery again to describe what happened to Israel. And I don't know if you've ever seen an animal caught in a snare, but it's one of the most desperate situations that you could ever witness. I mean, some animals are known to chew their own legs off to get out of snares. It's a pretty terrible thing to see. But again, it's important for us to see what David is saying with that imagery. He's using it on purpose. Notice that David doesn't say that Israel escaped the snare because God pointed it out to them so they could go around it. No. David said Israel was in the snare. Again, just like verses 1 through 5, God didn't keep Israel from being concerned about their enemy. No. God allowed them to be in the path of the torrent, to, to get to the point of desperation before He rescued them. I wonder if there's something important there in that principle. Maybe. Something in the idea that God didn't save Israel from discomfort, but He did save them from destruction. Because again, I don't know about you, but there are times where I don't feel like I escaped the trap. 
I did maybe, but I'm going to have this emotional limp for the rest of my life because I had to chew my metaphorical leg off to get out. And here's the interesting thing. We know the same is true for David. If you know David's life, what he's saying here doesn't seem to quite line up. I mean, sure, eventually God made him king, but David literally ran for his life for 15 years. In fact, 1 Samuel 21 tells us one time, when David had nowhere else to flee, he ended up running to Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath. Remember that guy he beheaded in front of everyone a few years earlier? Now, the story tells us that David did escape, but only because when the people of Gath started eyeballing him like, what are you doing here? He acted crazy, drooling down his beard and scratching, you know, nonsense words into the wood. So that finally the king of Gath was like, listen, I don't need another crazy person to take care of. Don't, don't hurt him. Just kick him out of the city and, and tell him to go on his way. And that doesn't even include the children David lost the wives, the sons who betrayed him, or any number of other things that happened after he was king. So how can David say so confidently in verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth? How can he say that? What are we supposed to do with this? The Bible says our help is in the name of the Lord. That's black and white right there. And we're in church, so we need to say that we believe that. But sometimes, doesn't it feel like your life says something different? Doesn't it feel like sometimes God doesn't help you when you need it? So how can we really say, like David, that our help is in the Lord alone? Well, you see, we've been doing something, kind of reflexively. We've been doing something kind of reflexively since the very beginning, since we first read this passage, meaning we've been doing something without even thinking about it. And what we've been doing is the reason why we feel like sometimes God doesn't help us. You see, listen, the whole time this morning, we've been defining what we think help means. We've been defining what we think help means. Meaning when the Bible says that our help is in the name of the Lord, we immediately, reflexively, decide what that help should look like. We've assumed that when David says our help is in the Lord, he means God will keep us safe. He'll help us make ends meet. He'll help us be at peace with others in our lives and not have any conflict. And if we really want to get personal... If we really want to be honest, we really think that that means that God will help us be comfortable. God will help us be satisfied. God will help me be successful. You know what that definition of ours usually doesn't include? That definition of God's help? We usually don't read this passage and assume that it means that God will help us to become more like Christ. That's not the first thing that pops into our mind. That the Lord will help us be more steadfast, more holy, more patient, more humble, more dependent 
on him. You see, to stick with the language of this psalm, like, like being concerned about getting our shoes a little muddy while a, while a flash flood is raging toward us. Our desire for help from temporal, circumstantial hardship is evidence that our perspective is skewed. From the very beginning, God told us that our primary enemy is sin and death. Thank you. Wait, make sure the Spirit ain't doing something. From the very beginning, God told us that our our primary enemy was sin and death. Yet so often our primary concern is anything but that. And we're not alone in that. Very few Israelites recognize that as well. Most Israelites, most of the people who David was writing to and, and onward, just like us, thought that their greatest need was was physical or circumstantial or political help. Listen, just like us, just like us, they missed that ultimately the torrent that was raging toward them, the enemy whose anger had been kindled against them, the flood that was going to drown them, most of them also missed that that was the wrath of their very own God. So when God did show up to help, when Jesus came onto the scene and he was literally like, I'm here to help you, what did they assume he was there to help them with? They assumed, just like we so often do, that he was there to help them with with political and physical problems. Till on that cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied and he made it clear Very clear what kind of help he was here to give, didn't he? He made it very clear that that if it had not been for the Lord, when God's anger was kindled against us, on the cross, he made it very clear that if it had not been for the Lord on our side, the torrent of his wrath would have gone over us. The flood of his judgment would surely have swept us away. But just like David says in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, because through Jesus Christ, God broke the bonds of sin and death. Through Jesus Christ, we have escaped the snare of shame and judgment. So that, so that, because of Jesus Christ, like the great hymn says, no power of hell No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. So here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. In other words, brothers and sisters, even if it's not the help we think it should be, the help we need is, in fact, in the name of the Lord alone. It might not be the help we assume it should be, but the help we do need, it is in the Lord alone. But is that it? Did God help us escape sin and death? And then he was like, whatever, peace out. I'll catch you on the flip side. I'm gone. Because David says again in verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord, present tense. Or to ask it another way, if our help is in the name of the Lord, present tense, then why does he allow us to dance with destruction? 
If our help is in the name of the Lord, then why does He allow us to, to, to mingle with misery? Why does God allow us to be snared by heartache and insult and chaos if David says that He is currently our help? How is that help? Like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want your help. But again, isn't He helping us? By allowing us to face adversity, by allowing us to experience pain and heartache, isn't He actually helping us be more like Christ? Isn't He helping us shed the idolatry of looking to the things of this world for peace and comfort and hope? Or to say this another way, God is willing to let us find out for ourselves that our help is in the name of the Lord alone. He's willing to let us find out for ourselves that our help is in the name of the Lord alone. Meaning, if we look to money and success for help, God's willing to let us find out if it'll help us when we're being swallowed alive. If we look to, to, to family or relationships for our help, God's willing to let us find out for ourselves how much they'll help us when we're being swept away by the rejection that accompanies a holy life. If we look to politicians and governments for help, God's willing to let us experience on our own how much help they'll offer when we really need it. In other words, God is willing to let us experience the heartache of watching our idols turn their backs on us when we need their help the most. Not to say, I told you so, not to wag his finger in our face and scold us, but to point us and to lead us and to drive us, if necessary, to a better hope, a better help. Like prying our fingers off our idols one by one by one, God is willing to let us experience the fatigue of looking for help elsewhere until we realize that our help is in the Lord alone. But how exactly is that help? Why doesn't He just help us by helping us not experience those things? Well, another reason is, the short answer is, is that God is unwilling to share His glory. God is unwilling to share His glory. Just like He taught Jacob when He dislocated His hip, just like He taught Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God's okay allowing us getting into situations that overwhelm us, that overpower us, that swamp us. He's willing to allow us the time we need to exhaust our attempts and our actions and our plans. He's willing to let us get far enough to the end of our rope that we will reach for His. In order to be sure that there is no question in our minds who did the rest rescuing, who did the helping. God's people have always been a people who glorified Him by reflecting on God's faithfulness in the midst of their own frailty and failure. It's been a hallmark of God's people. Or to say it another way, God isn't going to help us escape the fire, but He will give us hope within the fire. He won't help us out of the lion's den, but He'll give us courage in the face of lions. He won't help insulate us from insults, but He'll give us confidence in the face of slander. In other words, God's greatest source of help in our lives is the help we need the most. 
It's the help to be more like Christ. Help to see that that those things we look to for salvation and safety and assurance are, are not only weak and useless, but they're traitors. They're traitors. And again, he does this because the primary thing God wants to help us with is to be more like Christ. He's willing to let us experience hardship so he can help us have more of Christ's steadfastness and endurance. He's willing to let us experience pain and sorrow and grief so He can help us have more of Christ's hope and peace. He's willing to let us experience consequences and discipline so He can help us have more of Christ's holiness. But most importantly, I want you to listen to this, brothers and sisters. Our God is willing to let us experience hardship and pain, and heartache. Because in the very midst of life's deepest pain and and most gut-wrenching losses, your God wants to give you something very strange and very powerful. We cry out for help, for healing, for relief from what's going on, and, and sometimes God might answer those cries. But more often than not, rather than help us out of our circumstances, the Lord wants to help us get something far better, something more valuable, something more precious, something more eternal. Rather than help us out of our circumstances, the Lord loves to make us more like Christ by giving us, listen, praise. Praise in the midst of the heartache and in the midst of the hardship. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of help we need to want. We need to want to say my help to be as close to Christ as I can is in the Lord alone. We need to want to say my help to be more like Christ is in the Lord alone. We need to want to say My help to praise God as much as Christ in the midst of the fire is found in the Lord alone. In other words, brothers and sisters, what David is saying in Psalm 124 is true. It's totally true. The only difference for us is a lot has happened since he wrote this. Meaning we know know the whole story. Like in verses 1 through 5, If the Lord was not on our side when His anger was kindled against us, the flood of His wrath would have surely gone over us. But in verses 6-7, through we still say, Blessed be the Lord, because we escaped the snare of death when God broke the bonds of sin on the cross through Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of what actually happened instead of what could have happened, we can say with confidence, just like David does in verse 8, Not only that our help is in the name of the Lord alone, but our help to become more like Christ. Our help to become more like our Savior is also in the name of the Lord alone. In Christ alone our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, our song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and when trembling cease. 
our comforter, our all in all. Here in the love of Christ we stand.